This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Type four is the glorious, like doves flying in slow motion out of the bathroom and like fireworks are going off in the sky and there is like my michael buble crooning this wonderful song about how great your morning is that's the type of poop we're talking about with type four type poop goals yeah. <laughs> let's take a breath <sighs> hey guys i'm cindy litwako and welcome to something to share Every Wednesday, I sit down with people you may have seen on your TV screens, experts in their fields, or just people I find inspirational so that they have a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Sydney, and I love that you are here. I love that you are listening. And I hope you're having a great day. Um, as far as today's episode goes, it's another really fun, really enlightening episode. We have Dr. B on the podcast. He's incredible. Um, I'm a big fan of him from social media. He is the gut health MD on social media, so you might know of him. But I think it's one of those things that we all go through. Everyone, as they say, poops. Um And a lot of what he has to do is getting us to feel our best in our bodies, which would ultimately lead to a good old-fashioned bowel movement. And I know some of us might be a little squeamish, whatever, but if you break it down, we all poop. So we're going to get into that and so much more in today's episode. So we're going to talk about the way that he has incorporated his studies and the research that he's done with um, how food can affect our health, how we feel, and not just physically, but mentally. Our health affects things like anxiety, depression, energy, mood, connection to other people. And a lot of his research is rooted in the effect on fiber and health and getting our veggies um, to how it affects how we feel and how our bodies work. And it's some really interesting stuff. And I think it's going to help a lot of you. At least I hope it does. Maybe if you're feeling good and confidence in how your digestion is and your bowel movements and all that good stuff. Maybe share it with someone that you know, which all of us pretty much do know someone who is affected by this. So I think it's something that we can all take away from. Definitely stay tuned to the end where I asked Dr. B to go through a stool chart with me. (laughs) Um, He shared something on Instagram that breaks down seven different types of poops that we all could have and what that means for your body. I find it fascinating. I don't know about you, but I just grew up in a very open household. I think as a dancer and always being around my friends, um, spending a lot of hours with them, you run out of things to talk about. And then it ultimately leads to you talking about things like poop. So I'm super comfortable with it. And I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think it's a really interesting topic, but maybe that's just me. But I think all of us, no matter what, will be able to take away something from this episode. And my goal with this podcast was to getting you guys to lead your best lives, which also means you getting you guys to feel your best. And I think this information and all the things that we talk through is going to lead to that ultimately. So I'm so excited about that. Um, he wrote the book Fiber Fueled, so you can check it out in stores. The book is really well written, so it's not super boring like you would think a book on fiber would be. Um, he makes it really interesting and in even how he talks about his research and and how he's helped his patients is very fascinating and he keeps it very entertaining. So definitely enjoy this episode, guys, and please share it with you know, maybe your dad, um, maybe some your boyfriend who spends a little bit too much time in the bathroom or just like a friend that you know would be interested in this. Um, I find it fascinating. But other than that, my something to share, what do I have going on? Um, I just love this time of year, summer. Um, it's also my birthday month coming up. I will be turning 30 as of next week, which is such a not I don't think it's daunting as of right now because I'm experiencing it, but it is there's a lot of pressure on that time, that turning 30 time where you're supposed to have your shit together and everything's supposed to be figured out and you're supposed to be confident in your own skin and da 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 da. But um I do feel like that in a lot of ways, but it is interesting when you finally reach this mark that I think everyone puts so much 
pressure on and thought into you and whatever it is, um, it's interesting to finally get to that point and not be scared of it, um, to feel good about where I am in life, even though I always want to keep pushing myself and keep bettering myself and keep improving on whatever it is that I'm doing. I think it's an interesting marker and it's a good way to kind of look back and to see how far you've come and where you're going and what you've learned. And the thing I'm excited about with this new chapter in my life turning 30 is what people all tell me that it kind of just lends to you truly allowing yourself to be yourself. And I don't think you need to turn 30 to be yourself. Um, But from what I've heard from people saying that 30 is incredible and that there's so much to look forward to. And it just feels good to finally just allow yourself to be truly who you are and accept that and love that person and embrace that person. So that is my goal for this year turning 30 um, is just embrace who I am and keep continuing to show that to the world and not caring as much what they care about it. Um, And I think we all can apply that to our own lives. Who cares what everyone thinks? I think we can all feel a lot better um, when we're comfortable in our own skin. So whatever it takes for you to feel that way, um, I highly recommend that you do it. And I think that we all are capable of having that kind of power over our lives or in our lives. And I will continue to share kind of my method about going about that because I think that's a goal that I've had for a long time is just to truly feel confidently without any regrets and comfortable in my own skin. And like I said, sharing that with the world as well, which I think hopefully will help someone else to inspire them to to do the same and to show myself that I am so capable of that and I deserve to feel good in my body and my life. Yeah, I think that's my something to share. So I will be turning 30 on July 2nd. So wish me luck. Um, we are going to celebrate it in my hometown, uh, Virginia Beach, Next week, we're doing a little staycation at a hotel, Nick and I with my family and some of my friends. So I'm super excited just to kind of celebrate this next chapter. So stay tuned for all that. Um, But enjoy this episode, guys. I think it's a really, like I said, fascinating and helpful. I hope that you all can leave this with a better understanding of your bodies and just with the knowledge that you need to feel your best which includes having a good old-fashioned hearty bowel movements. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a nerd, and we kind of nerd out on this conversation, but I had a fun time, and I think you will too. So without further ado, here is Dr. B. It's funny, I reached out to Dr. B a little while ago, and he claims to be a Bachelor fan. So I'm excited to see how this will all kind of go hand in hand with what you do. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it goes back a long time. Like when I was in uh, high school, I used to watch 90210. That was what I considered to be my sort of like move to try to have conversations with the girls in my class. Yeah, so, it's a good move. <laughs> and it kind of ended up moving into The Bachelor in like the, you know, 2000s. And um, mm-hmm. so I haven't watched every season, but I've watched many of the seasons. It's especially nice with the work that you do to kind of turn your brain off um, and take a second and to watch other people kind of fall apart on your screen. It's a good time. <laughs> yeah. um, so for those of my listeners that don't know you or don't know what your work is and your book, can you kind of just give me a little lowdown on who you are? Sure. The lowdown is that I am a gastroenterologist. That's what I do for a living. So that's a very long way of saying that I'm a, a, a GI doctor, stomach and intestine specialist. Mm-hmm. And um, I work full time as a doctor. I, I take call and I became inspired by nutrition years ago because it changed my life. Um, I had a health transformation. It inspired me so much that I started devouring nutrition studies and things that I was not taught in my medical training. And I brought it into my clinic and my patients were having amazing results. And so I felt so moved by what was happening that I I felt like there was this story that needed to be shared with the world. And I, I mean, I, let me just be honest, like I'm not I know this is weird to say, but I'm not a social media guy. I don't really like it. You're good at it. <laughs> I felt like I, I, I've I've worked hard to try to figure out how to how to do it, but like I I just felt like people need to hear this, and so I started my social media account, and then one thing went to another, and 
I started doing podcasts and I had one in 2018 that went viral. Hmm. And after that, I was like, dang, like people are really, really reacting to what I'm putting out there. And so I felt like, you know what, I need to bottle this up and put it in one place for people to consume. And just, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, you can only go so far with an Instagram post. I decided to write a book in 2018 and it took me about a year and a half to get the book out and it's called Fiber Fueled and it came out about a year ago and it's, uh, it was a New York Times, USA Today, Publishers Weekly bestseller. And, you know, here we are a year later and it's just been crazy. It's sold over 135,000 copies, wow, which I did not incredible. expect. I mean, I just, I, I really didn't know what was going to happen. All I knew is that like the pandemic was ruining my book launch. That's all I really knew. <laughs> I so. mean, it goes to show that clearly we all needed that type of information and that many of us, I'm sure, are going through a lot of the same things. So what is it, that connection that you found that so many people were kind of going through that made your work so helpful for them? I, I feel like part of it is being in the right place at the right time. Um, mm -hmm. In many ways, I was lucky. You know, I decided to write this book in 2018. And when the book came out, I mean, I kind of feel like fiber was a buzzword last year, in part the success of my book. But I also think the success of my book was, was sort of riding the wave of interest. And I think the other thing too, Sydney, is that you have to, when you create content for people, you have to entertain them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a doctor and I could talk, you know, as if I were talking to a colleague and that's not very interesting to people. Mm -hmm. But if I talk to you like I'm, talking to a friend and we have some banter and I crack a couple of jokes. And then in that process, we all learn something. That to me is the type of book that I want to read. It's not just to educate, but to educate in a way that was actually enjoyable and fun to read. I will say from reading it, I totally see that you did that because that's the thing with this kind of research and these doc, this doctor talk, sometimes the everyday person can hear it and try to understand it, but it doesn't always make sense. Or they're like, it seems too far-fetched. And you did a really great job of just showing what the problem was and how we're all going to fix it together and making it really understandable. And like you said, it was fun to read, which is hard to do for an educational book like yours. That's about fiber, right? I mean, it's yeah, like, exactly. you know, I'm writing about the most bland topic. There's a reason why no one else has written a book about fiber mm -hmm. because everyone's like, there's no way you can write a book about fiber and make it interesting. This is one of the things that I've learned through this process is to stick to your guns. Mm -hmm. And if you believe in something and you're passionate about it, people will react to that passion and they'll feel that mm -hmm. and then they'll want to be a part of it. And so going through this book process, like, you know, I know we don't have unlimited time here, so I won't bore you with the full story. But the bottom line is that I had so many people tell me no. I bet. Yeah. I had so many people tell me that'll never work or that fiber is boring. And even literally the title of the book, Fiber Fueled, is what I was pitching. Like, this is the title of the book that I want to have. And people are like, we got to change that title. And it. so it's just, and it's not, it's not, this is not meant to be like, I told you so. It's just really meant to say that if you believe in something, just do it, just go for it. I love that. I'm so glad that you did because clearly it's helping so many people. So then in a way you are saying, I told you so, but you don't have to rub it into anyone's face. It's just the work speaks for itself and how people feel speaks for itself. But, you know, I, I spent a lot of time educating through the system, 16 years of medical training for myself. Um, worked very hard to get to where I am today. And if I feel like I can help people, th that's why I put all this effort in. Combining my education and my passion together in one place, it comes very naturally. It was a lot of effort to get this book out. I was waking up at five in the morning to write it, mm -hmm. you know, while taking call. And I mean, all of it was just very crazy. But but what was driving me was just like the passion of this, this message that people need to hear. That was your why, to get it out there. And I think that having a why, we, we all deserve that. Mm -hmm. We all deserve yeah. to have some sort of purpose. And I really feel like when people lose their purpose, then they lose their sense of self. And that's when people sort of struggle with bigger issues. This is a new conversation that we've had on this podcast, and I think that's going to help a lot of people. So I'm excited to dive into it. But before we do, I kind of want to get into the fun part of it. I ask everyone to kind of share something from their nightstand or something that's funny or something that we wouldn't expect you to have. So do you have something to share with the class? This is kind of weird. At least I think it's kind of weird. Maybe people <laughs> wouldn't think it's weird, but I'm going to tell you something about my nightstand. I read a book during the pandemic by James Nestor called Breath. It's really, it was interesting because it was taking the concept of how we breathe and putting it under the microscope and really breaking it down and dissecting it. And let me just say, before I go on, um, I think it's a great book. 
I don't necessarily like as a medical doctor, I don't necessarily agree with everything that's in there. Mm -hmm. And, and um, James Nestor is more of a writer than he is, uh, you know, someone with a formal medical education. But, but there were many things that I did take away that I loved. Hmm. And one of them was, you know, the idea of attention to our breath and breathing through our nose. I know that like, if I just go to bed at night, I'm going to breathe through my mouth. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. I wish that were not the case. I know. Same. And so I decided to try something radical for me. I thought this was radical. I got tape and I have tape that I put over my mouth before I go to bed at night. Oh, so you could die at any moment. <laughs> so that basically I only breathe through my nose. Okay. Is that So I did it in part because I was like, no matter what, whether I'm being a quack or not being a quack, no matter what, this is definitely going to be better for my oral health. Hmm. Right. But I was also curious, like, will I wake up less at night to go to the bathroom? And will I have deeper, more restful sleep where I wake up at, you know, in the morning and I feel really energized? Mm-hmm. And the answer has been yes. Really? It's like a human and experiment. So, yeah. I think the only issue about it is that two things. Number one, my wife tells me, good night, I love you. And then I'm like, oh, crap. Like, what am I going to do? I got this tape over my mouth. Yeah. So, and then the, the second thing is sometimes my kids will wake up at night and I have to go and tend to them in the middle of the night. And then it's like, okay, so what do you do now? You know, you're like, are you the creepy dad who's got tape over your mouth and your kid just had a nightmare and then your dad, you know, the dad runs in with tape over his face. Like, so. Is it like the, if the kidnapping tape, like the full on masking tape over your mouth, are we talking like scotch tape? No, no, it's not that scary and intense. (laughs) It's it's more like the type of tape that if you went to the emergency room Mm -hmm. and they put a piece of gauze and they were going to tape it to your skin, it's that kind of tape. Okay. I have also noticed that my my workouts are better now. Mm. I um, actually was working with this guy and I also am a mouth breather. And I'm, I've been told many times I'm bad at breathing because I don't breathe from my diaphragm. It's been a whole thing. But he told me to work out with one of those breath strips on my nose to help me breathe through my mm-hmm. nose. And it has it's definitely helped. Um, I don't do it, but it's, so yes, I could see why that has helped. I'll be curious to see if you give that a try. Yeah. And you can report back to us. I know. After. I'm going to be a human experience. I'm just going to start sleeping with uh, masking tape over my mouth. Looks yeah, like my boyfriend kidnapped me. I'll share with you which me. one I bought and you can try it out. Perfect. Okay. Well, that'll be my next, I'll report back to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, last question on that. Anything lately that can be work-related or just what you've noticed or what's kind of been on your heart or your mind lately that you would like to share with my audience? This is such a can of worms and I regret that I'm going to open up such a can of worms, but because I, I just think that this is so important. I've been thinking about a lot the last few months. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. the last year is just the flow of information in sort of many different arenas. So my world is the health and wellness world. And it disturbs me that on the internet, you can like pretty much take up any position you want and defend it and make the claim that you're right and everyone else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I say that with humility, because I don't want to sound like I'm inherently making the claim that I am right and everyone else is wrong by <laughs> accusing everyone else of making that claim. Mm-hmm. It's really tough these days. I, I feel for, for people who are trying to find high quality information and getting misled or tripped up or stumbled. And I don't know, I'd be curious to hear what you think, Sydney. I I don't know what the right answer to this all is because at the end of the day, like I'm not accusing the people who um, share misinformation as inherently being uh, selfish and and like knowing that they're wrong. I, I think many times they actually believe that they are right. I just think that there's an overwhelming amount of information on the internet and basically every opinion exists all at the same time. It's an interesting thought because I feel a lot of it has to do with social media and I'll just give like certain examples, but everyone claims to be an expert. There's a thing about getting views or likes or being shared more. And when you talk about something passionately and you seem to be an expert on it and you keep putting it out there and you're really strong in your opinions, then it's for some reason, people want to believe that more than someone that's done the research Research has gone through the extra time, maybe isn't sharing it as much. I feel like we're all just trying to feel like we know it all or that my information is better than yours. And instead of doing like that extra step, doing the extra research, taking like you did the year or two that you wrote that book. So yeah, I don't know how to fix it because it's continuously being a problem. But I think it's 
the people wanting that knowledge, being aware of that and second guessing everyone and checking their references, checking, reading other articles or and then making the opinion or the knowledge for themselves, not based on just like I'm going to follow them full heartedly and just believe everything that they say, but like check them and then see if it's right for you. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, I don't believe in censorship mm-hmm. because I think that the problem with censorship is that inherently, if we start doing censorship, then someone is making the decision on who is right and who is yeah. wrong. We need to transition to this place where each one of us acknowledges that there's a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. out there on the internet. That then we become very cautious in who we choose to consume information I from. Agree. And I think that you're right. I think that you should vet your sources, look to see what other people are saying, look at what the, the you know, sort of consensus is among the experts and like, who are the other people that back them up and support mm-hmm. them? Okay. Well, so. people are all just trying to read the headlines and it's like clickbait stuff. So open up the article. Yeah. Um, let's get into fiber. Let's talk all things fiber. Cause I know you can go down a million different wormholes and I want to help everyone here and like talk about the microbiome and all this stuff. So can you just walk me through first, like how you came to fiber? Cause I, I've listened to many a podcast. I've read many articles about like how to be the healthiest. And one day it's keto. The next day it's fasting. The next day it's paleo. The next day it's vegan. So what led you to fiber as like your main power source and how is it helping people? I work full time as a doctor and I take care of people who have digestive disorders mm-hmm. for a living. And my life is way better and way easier when people are healing. Mm. Like it is not fun for me when people are unwell. So creating ideas in my clinic that are just like ideas, if they don't work, I'm hurting myself. Like I'm not helping my patients, which would trouble me, but I'm also hurting myself. I'm making my life a lot harder. My my clinical practice is a place of experimentation. I'm, I'm bringing in things that I read in the medical literature And I'm applying them either to myself or to my patients and trying to help people. Fiber, as I was, you know, sort of on my own journey, I mean, let me, I guess, go back to the beginning for myself. It wasn't that long ago, eight years ago, that I weighed 50 pounds more than I do right now, that I had high blood pressure, high cholesterol, an anxiety problem, constant fatigue, extremely low self-esteem. Things were going actually really well for me professionally. I was the chief medical resident at Northwestern in Chicago, one of the top residency programs in the country, but I didn't feel well. I felt miserable. Mm. Something had to give. Being a sort of type A personality, being a guy, I went to the gym. I tried to work my way out of it. Mm -hmm. I was just like pounding exercise and I could build muscle and I could run fast and I could not lose the weight and I did not feel better. Mm And my life changed when I changed my diet and it wasn't an overnight thing. And it wasn't, I never, I've never done keto in my life. I've never really done any, I've never done paleo. I've never done any sort of fad diet. Mm-hmm. I was eating trash. I was addicted to junk food and I opted for convenience. And when I started to change towards eating real whole foods plant, almost immediately, these issues started to dissolve and disappear. Mm-hmm. And that motivated me so much that I started devouring research articles at night, like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, staying up late with my laptop reading and learning about, well, like, how do you explain this? How, how do you explain that by going from, I mean, I realized that this seems so obvious, but like, how do you explain that going from fast food to a smoothie just like can completely dissolve these issues, make mm-hmm. anxiety, blood pressure, cholesterol go away, lose 50 pounds. What kept showing up time and again, was this connection between the fiber in our food and the microbes living inside of our gut. And it just kept popping up like time after time after time. There were all these studies. And then you start digging into it a little more like, okay, so tell me more about fiber. Well, 95% of Americans don't even get the minimal recommended amount. Here we are in this country with an obesity problem, diabetes, basically epidemic, coronary artery disease and cancer is our top two killer. And we are a country that is the richest in the world and we're not even close to the healthiest mm-hmm. even though we spend twice as much money on healthcare per person than the number two country hmm. how do we how do we rectify this and the average american out there is 60 percent of their calories come from processed food 30 percent of our calories come from meat dairy and mm-hmm. eggs the average american eats their body weight plus an extra 40 pounds in meat on a yearly basis and we're like literally not eating fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. at all. 
just 10% of our calories come from real fruits, vegetables, whole grains, seeds, nuts, and legumes. It's like nothing. It's so bad that we, we can't even do fiber studies in the United States because when you line up these studies, Sydney, a common way that we will do the study is to look at high fiber consumers and compare them to low fiber consumers. And here's what happens. The recommended amount of fiber for a woman is 25 grams per day. The recommended amount for a man is 38 grams per day. In these studies, high fiber consumers in the United States are averaging 22 grams of fiber per day. What that means is that when we go to study fiber consumption, even the high fiber consumers are deficient. So how do you even study it? (laughs) It's crazy. Just to summarize, I'll just bring forward my number one favorite fiber study of all time. A study published by Andrew Reynolds. Um, Basically what they did is they compiled all of the highest quality data that exists on fiber. They had so many people in this study that they literally had over 120 million years of data. Uh Put that in the context, humans have only existed for 3 million years. Like this is the entirety of human history times 40 in one study on fiber. Mm -hmm. And here's what they found. That's amazing. When you consume more fiber, you have decreased risk of having a heart attack. You have decreased risk of dying from heart disease. That's our number one killer. You have decreased risk of being diagnosed with multiple forms of cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, esophageal cancer, decreased risk of dying from cancer. That's our number two killer. Decreased risk of having a stroke. That's, Mm -hmm. I believe, our number five killer. Decreased risk of being diagnosed with diabetes. That is, I believe, our number six killer. You lower your cholesterol, you lower your blood pressure, you lose weight. This is by simply consuming fiber. So what is that connection to the microbiome and how does that affect our health? Like what is fiber doing? Why is it so good that it's kind of fixing our systems just in it of, of it itself. into a conversation about these microbes. And so let me paint the picture mm-hmm. there first before we talk about the, the interaction between fiber and the microbes. Living inside of us are an insane number of invisible living creatures, like as alive as you and I are. There are mm-hmm. 38 trillion of these microbes living inside of your colon literally right now. 38 trillion. Uh, how do we put this number into perspective? Let's imagine that we go out there and it's a beautiful evening. It's dark out. And we can see every single star inside of our galaxy. And we reach up and we hug all the stars and we bring them in, hold on to those stars, okay? We have every star in the galaxy. You would need to do that motion a thousand times and squeeze it all down and put it inside your colon. That's how many microbes you have living inside of you literally right now. All of them are in our butt. All those, all those stars. (laughs) 38 trillion stars in our butt. a lot of stars in my butt. Okay, interesting. Superstar. We actually technically are considered to be a super organism because we are the home to these living creatures. And it is literally an ecosystem inside of us. And they're not just like passively there. They're there to make our lives better because when we live, Hmm. they live. It's symbiotic. We help one another. They help us to digest and process our food. They give us access to nutrients. I mean, that's like literally Mm -hmm. life. They connect to our immune system, help to train it and optimize it. They regulate our metabolism. So when I talk about things like weight or diabetes or blood pressure, that's what I'm referring to. They balance our hormones. There's ways that they connect to estrogen. There's ways that they connect to testosterone. They actually speak to our brain. They're like literally in constant communication with one another. They're talking to each other right now. When you mess up your gut, it can affect your mood. When you are stressed out, it can affect your gut. This is why many people who have irritable bowel syndrome, when they're under stress, they get Mm. worse. These gut microbes, they also connect to our genetic code. It turns out that our genes are not like our predestiny from a health Mm. perspective. 80% of our risk for disease is not genetic. 80% comes from our environment, which really what that means is Mm-hmm. diet and lifestyle. So the our genetic code, it turns out, is more like a switchboard. And you got all these switches laid out in front of you. And you could flip a switch on or you could flip a switch off. Question is, who's flipping the switches? And the answer is these guys, the microbes. See, what we have is we have this community that is in the command center of human health, connected to everything that matters, access to nutrients, our metabolism, our immune system, our hormones, our mood, our brain, our genetic code. They're sitting in the command center, they're running the show, and we need them. So how do we get them to do what we want? The great thing about them, Sydney, is that they are very forgiving. They are adaptable. You change your diet today, and like literally by tomorrow, there will be changes in your gut. And that's a beautiful thing, and that's a big part of what ultimately determines health during your life. These microbes, if we want them to thrive, we have to feed them. And their preferred food 
is dietary fiber. Fiber is, it is not the stuff that we all imagine like Metamucil where grandma is stirring the orange drink so that she can have yeah. a poop. I mean, it is, but all plants contain fiber. Fiber comes in many unique forms. It's like protein. No one would claim that the protein in a fish is the same as the protein mm -hmm. in a bean. There are many forms of fiber. Every plant has fiber. Every plant has its own unique types of fiber. And these different types of fiber are the food for the gut microbes. And each microbe has specific types of fiber that they like. They don't all like black beans. They don't all like broccoli. They have their preferences just like we do. And when you eat a wide, diverse diet, what ends up happening is that you feed a wide, diverse mix of microbes. And by the way, for the people who are listening at home, I'm about to drop probably the most important thing I'm going to say this entire hour. The health of this ecosystem to create biodiversity. That's what health within an ecosystem mm -hmm. is. As many different species as possible. And the way that we get as many different species as possible is to feed as many species as possible. And the way that we do that is by eating a wide diversity of plants. And by the way, this is not just, hey, Dr. B's got a cool idea. There's a study called the American Gut Project, and it still is the largest study to date to allow us to connect diet and lifestyle choices to the health of our microbiome. Mm -hmm. And when they analyzed that study, what they found was that the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome was the diversity of plants in your diet. In that study, people eat consuming more than 30 different varieties of plants per week hmm. had the healthiest microbiomes. They weren't just eating the fiber one bars and the metamucil and the supplements. <laughs> no. And that's the issue with the food industry is that they're going to, there's someone who's an executive at the, at the food industry, who's probably read my book or is listening to this podcast. And they're going to go, well, we'll just let's put fiber on the cover of the box yeah. and sell that. That's what they did with gluten-free. They just put it on everything that they could to make it seem like it was healthy. Cause that was what it was at the time. That is so true. That is so true. That, that what happened was that gluten-free 15 years ago was an insanely healthy diet because basically meant that you had to avoid processed food mm -hmm. and then gluten-free got trendy and once it got trendy the food the food industry showed up to capitalize on it then we're just eating like sugar and carbs basically disguised as healthy options for gluten-free people yeah that's really true and we have to be careful because because um you know i'm here to promote a plant-centered diet plant-based diet mm -hmm. you know not necessarily a hundred percent if you don't choose to but the more plants the merrier and the problem is like that those are becoming buzzwords now Mm. that show up on boxes and like super processed foods say plant-based. And I'm like, that's not plant-based. Yeah. I bought cookies that, that say plant-based. I'm like, they're not plant-based, but I'm going to eat the cookies. <laughs> yes. I mean, it started as a plant mm -hmm. and then you added a bunch of stuff that I have no clue what it is. Yeah. And I was a chemistry major. Like that's weird. Yeah. For people that don't know if they can look at their diet and see like, oh, I shouldn't be eating these things. Great. But like, how do you know when your gut is off? Like, what are some signs that things aren't functioning properly? I know I've had many in my life, but what are some like telltale signs that your gut is off? Your gut is critically important to your digestion. Like that is probably the number one thing that it's involved with. And if you are unwell from a gut perspective, you're going to notice digestive symptoms. Mm -hmm. So gas, bloating, abdominal discomfort, nausea, change in bowel habits, could be diarrhea, could be constipation, could be a fluctuation between the two, abdominal pain. Uh, you know, these are some of the classic things that obviously roll into my clinic on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, I mentioned the immune system, autoimmune diseases. Most people with autoimmune diseases have damage to their gut microbiome, allergic issues. Um, I mentioned the metabolism. If you have type two diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, coronary artery disease, liver disease, fatty liver. These are connected to damage to the gut microbiome. I mentioned the brain, migraine headaches, anxiety, depression, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, ADHD. These are some of the things that are connected back to the gut. Mm. Hormones, polycystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis, um, endometrial hyperplasia, you know, even smaller stuff like irregular menses potentially could be related back to the gut. So, so many different parts of the body can be affected. Which is so crazy because sometimes you go to the doctor and you're like, I'm getting PCOS or I'm having these problems. And then we slap a bandaid on it or give it, we prescribe a medication or yeah, a lot of us are medicated in some way. So then it's just covering the issue, but not getting to the root of it, which is clearly a lot related to the gut, which I feel like not a lot of people think that through once they're just like, okay, I'll go get my medication. I'm good to go. But if we started from the source, we wouldn't have to get to that place. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely correct. I think if the, if the root of the issue is 
diet and lifestyle, which the evidence would suggest that it is. And it's not personal. This is not me or anyone else condemning the individual person who's suffering with health issues and saying, you did this to yourself. Mm -hmm. This is really more so to say that look at the worlds that we live in. Like, show me the person who hasn't had a Diet Coke during their lifetime. Yeah. We all have. Mm -hmm. And we all have been raised with these things. And we've normalized things that were not normal 100 years ago. You know, if you take a person with a genetic predisposition, and you expose them to the American lifestyle and what we established as normal, even when you have healthy versions of that, like again, uh, the high fiber consumers are still not even hitting mm. the minimal recommended amount of fiber. You know, I, I just think that you're absolutely correct that if that's the source of the issue to ignore the root of the problem makes no sense mm -hmm. the way that I feel about it. And, you know, bear in mind, I'm a Western trained doctor mm -hmm. and I see the flaws. I see the flaws in the way that our system works and it, and it disturbs me. I, I personally am of the belief that diet and lifestyle should be a part of every single medical plan. Mm -hmm. But I also am of the belief that if we take a completely naturalistic approach where we say the Western medical system doesn't work, it's broken. There's actually a lot of amazing research and development that takes place within conventional medicine and it's there to help us and support us. And so I, I think the best is when we combine yeah, both. Yeah, I agree with that. So then what should we be eating to get this fiber-fueled life is it, like you said, a mix of plants? Like, how do we get to that number that we need to get at without just eating kale all day long? I, I You know what? Let me correct myself in a little bit of a way here, because I've been sitting here dropping the, these numbers on how many grams and how we're deficient in terms of grams of mm -hmm. fiber. And the reality is that I don't count grams of fiber for myself, mm -hmm. and I never have. And I say, stop counting grams of fiber, stop counting calories, start counting plants. Hmm. How many different varieties of plants can you get into your individual meal? And don't feel like pressure because this is not about anyone other than you mm -hmm. and wanting to take you personally where you are today and move the needle in a positive direction. And that's it. Yeah. And so if you are 10% plant-based, guess what? That's better than I was just a couple years ago. <laughs> like I was probably 2%. <laughs> you're only 10% plant-based and you move it to 30%. I am your biggest fan and I'm cheering you on. Don't worry about perfect. Mm -hmm. Focus on progress. Progress over perfection. Yeah. I mean, I can take myself for an example. I, I was very good about eating all the vegetables all the time before I moved in with my boyfriend. And now we're, I started eating like him a little bit more. And now I'm trying to pull myself back from that. But yeah, I've been a I've had a problem with it too. But I also have noticed, for example, last year in the pandemic, I went home, I was like staying at my parents because we were all home and eating differently. And my friend and I talked about this. We had like Brussels sprouts one night and my stomach was like immediately locked up, starting to introduce those back into my body. So for the people who are trying to make those shifts, like how do you support yourself? Should we start small and then kind of build up to this full fiber life? Because I feel like it takes a little bit of time to get your body used to it. What do you recommend for that? It definitely takes time to get your body used to it. And uh, the way that I want people to think about this is your gut is a muscle. It can be trained. It can be made stronger. You can restore function that isn't there right now. And it, you can turn it into whatever you want it to be if you're willing to put in the time to build it up. Basically, your gut responds to demand. The demands that you put on it the work that you ask it to do, it will learn how to do it. It's highly intelligent, but you have to give it time and an opportunity. So think of it like this. If I haven't been working out and it's January 1st, go to the gym, what's likely to happen? I'm probably going to go too hard. Mm -hmm. And if I don't hurt myself, I'm at least going to be like super sore for two weeks. That's because I'm not adapted to what I'm trying to do. My body needs an opportunity to start to make that shift and adjust to this new way of doing things. But if you go to the gym and you stay within the bounds of what you're actually capable of doing and you just kind of push a little bit closer to that line of where those capabilities exist and then you come back again in two days and you do it again you will grow stronger and stronger and that line of capability will start to move out and you will find that you're able to do things that you weren't able to do before and so if you believe that you are incapable of consuming a certain food chances are that you are capable of consuming that food, but you may need to rehab your gut because the paradoxical thing that sucks, I wish it were not true, but it is the reality, mm -hmm. is that person who needs this most is also the person who struggles the most to do it. Mm -hmm. If you have a damaged gut and you start introducing fiber and diversity of plants like Brussels sprouts, like you mentioned, it is far more likely to make your gut upset. And that's because you're not capable of doing as much. That's like having a recovery from a shoulder injury. When you're recovering from the injury, you're not going to the 
gym and lifting 25 pounds. You're going to a physical trainer and you're just trying to be able to lift your arm over your head. So you got to get back to the basics. So if you if you ha- if you've had a damaged gut and you find that you're sensitive to food, low and slow is the tempo. Which by the way was a Beastie Boys song. <laughs> My dad would have appreciated that. <laughs> so so like if you're sensitive to let's pretend you're sensitive to chickpeas or like Brussels sprouts. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with like literally having a half of a Brussels sprout to start and do it again in a couple of days. Um, do you have any general superfoods or things that you really like the most out of the fiber family? Because I feel like some, even with the diet community, even like fruit has gotten a bad rap lately and certain foods. So what do you suggest are the best for us to be consuming? This this fruit thing comes back to the misinformation yeah, conversation. Yeah, I gave up fruit we for like a before. while. <laughs> Really? Yeah. See, you know what happens with fruit? People are like, oh, it gives you diabetes. No, actually people who eat the most fruit have the least diabetes because it has fiber. Mm. We'll say, oh, it causes you to gain weight. No, that's not really true. Actually, people who eat more fruit lose weight mm. because it has fiber. Anyway, to answer your question, Cindy, in terms of like, what are my optimal foods? I don't believe in superfoods. Or I mean, I kind of do, <laughs> but I would, I would rather you have three different foods like carrots onions and spinach mm-hmm. than have that one superfood from brazil makes sense but to answer your question i mean i i do have like a core group of foods that i like to think about and i've, I've consolidated it into an acronym f goals love it f goals like fiber goals <laughs> it fit perfectly for you i'm very nerdy sorry i apologize for being nerdy <laughs> no it's great f is for fruit again i just made my argument fruit bring is good it for back you. i'm eating fruit from now yeah, bring it back uh f is also for fermented i love those i think that we should have some fermented foods in our diet like it's not the backbone of our diet but it should be in there g is for greens greens are like just pure nutrients they have zero calories mm-hmm. Like almost no calorie. And G is also for whole grains, grains, but like really whole grains. They've been maligned too, but whole grains, they have fiber, they have complex polysaccharides, they have resistant starches, all of which feed your gut microbiome. Your gut microbes love whole grain. O stands for omega-3 super C. So chia, flax, and hemp. Put all three into a smoothie. Chia, flax, and Mm -hmm. hemp. A stands for aromatics, garlic and onions. L stands for legumes, potentially my favorite among the whole thing because they are dirt cheap. You can like literally anyone can afford legumes. There's tons of diversity. You can like create chili and throw like eight different beans Mm -hmm. in there. And that's eight different plant points. Similar to whole grains, great for the gut microbes. Kind of went a little bit crazy on S. I had so much that I wanted to say. I was like, oh man, this is my last chance. I got to get this in. S is for sulforaphane, which is my nerdy way of saying cruciferous vegetables, which are cancer-fighting foods. Mm. Um, S is also for shrooms. By shrooms, I mean mushroom. And finally, my last one is S is also for sea, ve- sea vegetables, seaweeds. That's my life. Does it matter if we're cooking them, eating them raw? It doesn't matter as, as long as we're eating them, it's fine. I say both. So there actually was an interesting study where they, they did both. They cooked them and they ate them raw, the same, same plant. And they saw that it actually affected the gut in different ways. Interesting. I think one last question I have here is supplements at all, like pre probiotics, prebiotics, anything like that to support as you're trying to shift. Do they work? What does work? Do any fiber supplements work? What do you recommend? It's not that I am against supplements. I actually am very much for supplements and I recommend them in almost every single patient that mm-hmm. I see. What I'm against is what I see happening in some cases where people are like taking 15 or 20 supplements and they're not changing their diet and lifestyle, or they're like, I don't want to take that one medication, but I'm going to take 15 or 20 supplements, but that I have no clue what they do mm-hmm. or how they're interacting with one another. That's the part that I don't necessarily agree with, but it should be diet and lifestyle that really are leading the charge. And then we round it out with the supplements. We really sort of like fine tune it. I'm a big believer in prebiotic fiber supplements. A few quick examples, um, acacia powder, which you could get organic, uh, wheat dextrin, which is very readily available because that's been a fiber. It's like everywhere in the mm-hmm. United States. Uh, partially hydrolyzed guar gum is another one. And then I believe in probiotics for the person who has digestive issues and has a specific thing that they're working on. And you take the probiotic and you make an assessment, do I feel better? And if you do, and you're comfortable with the price, I'm with you. If I give you a probiotic and it's not the right fit for you, then you're not really going to benefit. 
Makes sense. And so that's why you want to sort of trial and error to see what works for you. Yeah, not doing like 20 supplements at once because then you can't tell what's working and what's not working because you're taking so many things. Um, I wanted to share the thing that you shared on social media. I think last week was this stool chart. <laughs> I wanted you to just kind of walk me through. First of all, how should we feel when we're going to the bathroom? Should it be like, <laughs> like how long should we physically be in the bathroom? How long should it take? And then how should it look? So let's go through this little diagram. If you don't mind, <laughs> it's amazing how we connect with other humans like this. Yeah, um, all, everybody poops. So I mean, I, everybody poops. Everybody poops, and I mean, let's be honest with you. It uh, a healthy, satisfying bowel movement like absolutely can and should be one of the highlights of your day. It's very exciting. <laughs> and it shouldn't. It shouldn't be a struggle. It shouldn't be something that you fear. It shouldn't be something that feels dissatisfying. It should be satisfying. Um, it should feel complete. Like there are many people who they go and then like 45, they're like, I don't really feel like I emptied. And then 45 minutes later, they go again. Well, that's because they didn't empty. It's not a new poop. That's the same poop that you never finished. Like pooping is a part of who we are, what we do. I kind of honestly believe that it should be a vital sign. We should be paying more attention mm -hmm. to it. And there's new studies coming out, Sydney, beyond just the Bristol stool chart, which I'm, I love and am more than happy to talk about. But there are new studies that are coming out that are showing us that the way we poop tells us and gives us some insights into what's happening with our gut microbiome. This is a window into our gut microbes. I actually just saw recently that there's an app that people use where they can chat with their friends about when they pooped and they kind of track each other. So they kind of log in their poops and then they know what, like Sarah pooped at 2 p.m. It's very hilarious, but <laughs> there's a whole app that how am I not on this I, app? I don't I'm know. So that could old. be your new this thing. Sounds amazing. <laughs> it's hilarious. But yes, pooping. Anyways, there's seven types on this chart. So let's just start right in the middle, which is the type four. Okay. So by the way, before we go in here, I mean, I'm sure that your listeners have already realized I'm super nerdy. <laughs> um, and I just want to warn you that this is literally what I do for a living. I talk about poop it's all day great. long. So I'm extremely comfortable just talking about poop. Perfect. So don't. I mean, you can judge me if you want to, whatever. It is what it is. All right, type four. Type four is the glorious, like doves flying in slow motion out of the bathroom and like fireworks are going off in the sky and there is like my, Michael Buble crooning this wonderful song about how great your morning is. That's the type of poop we're talking about with type four. It is a smooth, sausage shaped bowel movement it comes out effortlessly mm. you admire it in the mm -hmm. bowl um the rare on rare occasions you have one of those moments where you're like i wiped but i probably didn't need to oh that's that's well <laughs> that's unique it's not it's not required yeah not to be too graphic but it's not required for a type four but the point is that type four is just glorious <laughs> the way that things are supposed to work type Poop goals movement. Yeah. <laughs> type three is, can still be a, a healthy bowel movement. You, you shouldn't freak out if you have a type three bowel movement, but basically, so type four is a true, just smooth sausage. A type three is getting a little bit sort of cracked. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, like, you know, it's, there's a little bit of hardness there, but nothing too crazy. That's a type three. It can still be a healthy bowel movement. Don't freak out if that's what you have. Um, type two is now moving towards something that is like, pretty strongly indicating constipation. Mm. And so type two is still, still like a torpedo, but it is almost like you took a whole bunch of golf balls and put them together with some clay. Like it's like hard and lumpy, lumpy bumpy. Yeah. And it looks like, it looks like a bunch of marbles got stuck together with some mm. glue. So like things didn't get di digested enough and they're in clump form. Is that how that works? Well, it's not, it's not, it's not necessarily that things didn't get digested. It's more so that it's spent way too much time inside your uh. body because it's spent so much time inside your body. Your body is basically drawing all the water out of it and it's turning it into a desert. It's a poop, mm. desert. poop desert. Finally, the type one is the hard ball, super firm, uncomfortable to pass. It feels like you're like pushing out a baby, but you're a guy. Guys don't have babies out of their bottom. Women don't either, by the <laughs> way. This is like true constipation when you have these super hard rock-like stools. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to move to type five. Type five is just, just kind of getting mushy. 
it still is sort of tubular, but it's getting a little bit softer. And a type five is not worth freaking out about. Again, you can have good, healthy bowel movements. If you have no digestive issues, you could be having type fives and just be this fine. This is just who you are. Hmm. All right. But when we move into type sixes, now we're getting into these stools that are just like a, a cow pie, <laughs> mm-hmm. just a plop. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no shape to it. It's just a plop. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for bearing with me. No, here. this is great. I'm having fun here. <laughs> and this is, we're moving towards something that's resembling closer to diarrhea. Things have not spent a lot of time inside your body. Mm. Your your colon, normally what part of what it does is it draws water out of the stool. There's a sweet spot. When it draws just the right amount of water out, it's a type four. If the stool spends too much time inside your body, it keeps drawing water out, keeps drawing water out. And then you end up with a type two or one. But then there's the flip side, which is like, if it just like rifles through, just just like, sorry for the sound effects, but it'll come out as water. Mm. And that's, that's a type seven. A type seven is like, there's no form or shape to it at all. It's not even a chart. It's just like, like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's that that's a that's a derivative of uh, the type yeah. seven. We, we have, like, that's a special category <laughs> underneath the umbrella of a type seven bowel movement is the mm. shirt. Wow. Okay. I'm just gonna take that in for a second. So yeah, that's really interesting because you can just look in the toilet and it's a clear representation of like what's your what your body's doing. So I love that. That's beautiful. So every time you go, it, it's just gonna give you a signal where you're at. How many times a day should we be going to the bathroom? Is it like one in the morning when glorious number four, or is it like multiple times in the day? What's the goal for poop? <laughs> so if I ever give a number, people freak out. And I literally get like 50 DMs on Instagram from people who are like, I poop every other day. Does that mean I'm constipated? Mm-hmm. Let me just say that it's not a number. It's how you feel mm-hmm. and whether or not you are completely empty. You could poop every other day and that might be totally fine because you have no digestive symptoms and you are having good complete evacuations that are very satisfying when you go. Let me, let me just kind of put this into perspective. There's people I see in my clinic every single day who they poop on a daily basis and they're constipated Mm. because they don't completely empty baby poops. (laughs) And so if you do a partial bowel movement, you will back up. If you poop out, you know, 70% of it, but you trap 30%, that 30% is going to compound every day until you are super backed up and constipated. There are people who I see who poop several times a day who are constipated because they never, they, they have like these little nuggets, like little turds. They're like, but doc, I poop three times a day. It's like, yeah, but how much did you go? It's like, oh, it's a chicken nugget yeah. every time. It's a quarter poop. That's not a real bowel <laughs> movement. Yeah. There are, I hope that there's someone out there that I help with this. There are people who they suffer with lifelong constipation and then all of a sudden they start having explosive diarrhea mm-hmm. and the issue is not that they flipped over to diarrhea. The issue for these people usually is that what they have is called overflow. Basically what's happened is they have solid mm-hmm. stool that's backed up. The liquids sneak through the cracks and the crevices and then explode out the bottom as water. And so the experience of the patient is diarrhea and they call their doctor and they say, I'm having diarrhea. I'm pooping three or four times a day and it's all liquid. And the doctor says, take modium." Mm. And the emodium is an anti-diarrheal. So then they're not going to poop out the And it makes stuff. the constipation worse. Dang. Yeah. And it just makes the whole problem worse. So the solution for these people, believe it or not, is actually paradoxically to get it going. You actually have to drink stuff like, like magnesium citrate, for example. You drink a bottle of magnesium citrate to flush the bowels out and disrupt the solid stuff so that you can get back into a rhythm and get going mm. again. So... Anyway, to answer your question, Sydney, that was a long way of me basically saying that this is not about a number. It's about, are you really completely evacuating? And because if you're not, and you're out of rhythm, that's when people get into trouble. Mm. Your gut is like your heart. When your heart is in rhythm, you're able to run and jump and exercise and do all the things you want to do. When your heart's out of rhythm, you get short of breath doing Mm -hmm. anything. When your gut is in rhythm, and you're pooping regularly, you're going to be able to eat a lot more food. You're going to be able to eat what you want to eat. You're not going to have as much food sensitivity and you're going to be doing really well. Amazing. So yeah, we're all just working for a nice number four. Now we have the visual. Um, 
I think those are my final questions. I have one more before we go because you've given so much good advice and just one thing that you could leave my listeners with. So what is like one last piece of advice? It could be fiber related or just anything right now that you kind of want to share to close us off. So we've spent this whole time talking about food and and poop. (laughs) (laughs) And I would be remiss to ignore the fact that there are ways to heal your gut without even lifting a fork. And if you suffer with digestive issues, don't feel like you need to like pound the fiber and hurt yourself to fix your problem. It's a part of the equation, but guess what? You could get a good night's rest. You could do a little exercise, literally 30 minute walk after a meal goes a majorly long way. You could spend time with people you love. There's actually some interesting studies. We don't have enough time to really dig in as much as I would like to, but there's some very interesting studies mm-hmm. about how being social is good for our gut microbiome about how falling in love is good for our gut microbiome. You could pick up outdoor hobbies. There was a study where they took people and had them literally put their hand into dirt for two weeks. Holding dirt. (laughs) Like they weren't actually gardening. They were just putting their hands into dirt. Wow. Yeah. And guess what? Their gut microbiome got healthier by touching dirt. So at the end of the day, I think we all know that there's this path that's like very simple. And the problem is that our mm-hmm. 21st century lifestyle doesn't want it to work that way. You know, the American life is like pulling us away from these simple rules of sleep and laugh and spend time with the person that you love and be social and enjoy your food and take time at your meals and put your phone down and get away from the blue light late at night and get a good night's rest and maybe stick your hand in some dirt once in a while. I'm going to have to try that one. I haven't tried that one yet. <laughs> I'm going to go hold hands with my garden, my yard. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. B. Where can everyone find you, your social media, your website, your book, all of that good stuff? Before I go there, can I can I bring up something that's completely tangential because I felt compelled to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> There's something that you and I have in common that I think is really cool that I wanted to mention. When you, I read this in one of the articles online, I think on like bachelor.com. Um, when you started dating your boyfriend. Uh-huh because it was during the pandemic, you guys had to connect by talking to one another Mm -hmm. for months before you ever even got to meet. And it's really cool because that's actually very similar to the way that I connected with my wife. Really? So when we met, I was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I was in my GI fellowship and my wife was living in Charleston, South Carolina, which is about five hours away. And we actually met through eHarmony. No way. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, like, you know how people give money to their university that they went to college? Yeah. I might just start giving money to the Harmony. Yeah, I mean, they need it. <laughs> I, I haven't seen a commercial from them in a while. They might need the extra. <laughs> you, you changed my life. Thank you, eHarmony. That's amazing. Um, what was cool is that because we were so far away from one another, we talked on the phone for several weeks before we ever went to go meet one another. And I, I personally found in my experience of dating, that actually was the healthiest way to really get to know a person. I agree. Before actually like being physically present with one another. It just really was such a healthy way because then it's like, then you're around one another and you already know each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's really cool. It's, I agree so. with everything you just said. I'm so happy you shared that with me. Yeah, because we got to know each other. I trusted him before I even really knew him. Um, and I got to just know him at, to a core and I had to ask him a bunch of questions because that's all we had to do. It lends to knowing someone before you get to those extra layers. And then once we were in person, it was able, we were able to move a lot quicker because we already had that like ground floor solid relationship. So I'm glad it worked for you too. Yeah. I think it's such a healthy way to enter into a relationship and it's old fashioned. Yeah. But old fashioned works. It does. Um, Anyway, to answer your question, for anyone who's interested, you can come and find me on social media on both Instagram and Facebook as the Gut Health MD. I have uh, a book that we were discussing earlier. It's called Fiber Fueled. It's very good. So again, Fiber Fueled is the title that they told me would never (laughs) sell. Look at you now. (laughs) And it's doing okay. Um, I have a website, theplantfedgut.com. And, you know, one of the things that I do is that when there's like a breaking news study or like a new study that comes out in the microbiome world, I want to share what I'm reading with people. Um, And Instagram just doesn't give me enough characters to really say Mm -hmm. what I want to say. So if you join my email list, I will send you emails and there will be some jokes in there too, because I like making people laugh. Perfect. And then the last thing I have a course that I'm very proud of. 
It's called the Plant Fed Gut Masterclass. It's a seven week program for people who are looking to take their gut health to the next level, whatever that means for you. So we're, we're firing it up again this summer. It's the last time that I'll be offering it in 2021. And then um, we'll go from there. So for anyone who's interested, you can find more information about that at, at my website, theplantfedgut.com. Awesome. That sounds great. I'll link everything in the show notes so everyone can just click and go find you. Yay. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time and for going through that journey with me. Thanks for talking shit with me, literally. <laughs> Yeah. Hope you have a great day. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. It's been a pleasure to hang out with you for the last hour. That is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Before you go, make sure that you rate, review, and follow, as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And one thing you can share in the meantime, this podcast, obviously. Send it to a friend who needs some inspiration or give us some love on social media and tag us at something to share podcast on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday.